Good day and welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. Few countries face the challenge of balancing economic development and climate change as acutely as India, and in no other country is this balance likely to directly impact the lives of so many people. Over the next decade, some 200 million rural Indians will move to urban centers. Many will join the middle class, creating new demand for goods and energy while tripling the size of India's built environment. At the same time, rising temperatures and the desertification of India's agricultural regions will challenge the country's ability to feed itself. On today's podcast, we'll look at India's growing demand for energy and how the development decisions the country makes today will to a large extent lock in place its energy needs and climate impact for decades to come. Here to talk about these issues is today's guest, Radhika Kosla, visiting scholar at the Climate Center for Energy Policy. Radhika, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andy. Radhika is a fellow at the Center for Policy Research in New Delhi, India. She is also a visiting scholar at the MIT Energy Initiative and a former staff scientist with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Now, Radhika, the focus of your work has been on sustainable development in India. Just wonder if you could start us out by talking about the specific problems you look to address through your research. Sure. So I work on the integrated nature of India's energy sector to examine the linkages between energy development and climate change. Um, There are two pillars of my work. The first is a focus on Um, the demand side of Indian energy with attention to the technological, institutional and behavioral aspects of energy use and their lock-in to a rapidly growing built environment, especially in urban areas. Um, The second is on examining the role of Indian cities in um, addressing climate change and in examining how they balance their multiple objectives of urban development, energy access, housing, air pollution, along with also thinking about climate change and and finding ways to address that. Now, the numbers here are pretty dramatic uh, in terms of the demographics and the demographic change that's going on in the country. 200 million people will be moving to cities in a little over a decade, over that period. Um, Can you give us a perspective on the demographic change that's taking place in India right now? So India is at the cusp of an urban transition, which is predicted to be one of the largest in global history by by 2050. And the implications of this transition are many. So Indian cities will host 200 million more people by 2030. And all of these, or most of these, are starting from a low base of development, which means that they will demand modern fuels, appliances, air conditioners, and vehicles for improved quality of life. Now, demographically, at least 10 million people are expected to join the the workforce every year for the next two decades. And urban areas in general are are expected to account for 75% of the country's GDP growth in the next 15 years. Now, if that was not enough, there are more transitions underway. And, and, And one of the most dramatic ones is actually in the built environment. So two thirds of India's buildings that will exist in 2030 are yet to be built. And all of these urban transitions and demographic changes um, present significant challenges in themselves and and one that is made more complicated by the need to address their energy and, and, and climate dimensions. So what will the cities have to do to accommodate so many 
so many new people. I mean, I think of the cities very large in India, already very highly built up. You're talking about two-thirds of the buildings haven't even been built yet. Yeah, and and this takes us to to an interesting aspect um, and a potential advantage that Indian cities do have, um, even though they have these large challenges ahead of them, which is that most of their infrastructure is yet to be built. Um, and and what that de- means is that because a lot of the the buildings, the transportation networks, the the networks of streets and housing are yet to be developed. There is a moment or a window of opportunity to put together um, infrastructure that is actually energy efficient and low carbon without compromising on the development and the services that are offered to the population. Now, all of the this opportunity is only as useful as the early decisions that are made at the time of investment in these different infrastructures. But because buildings and urban spaces do have the ability to pre-shape preferences and consumption patterns, there is a way in which Indian cities, while having this huge challenge ahead of them, can also actually be be centers where low-carbon development and energy-efficient and sustainable development can be put forward. So I would say focusing on urban form, on buildings and transportation, does allow Indian cities to actually manage this transition that is ahead of them. So what is the current mix of energy sources in India in terms of transportation as well as, I guess, more, more importantly, electricity at this point. Um, and how would you envision that changing over the next decade and a half? Yeah, so I'm going to take the, the broader of those two questions, which is what is India's energy mix look like and, and how is that going to change? Now, on the supply side, um, India's energy mix is for the most part based on fossil fuels and on coal, but with a very large a very fast growing component of renewable energy. Um, and, and that particular mix is something that India is predicted to see in, in the future leading up to 2030 at least, which is where um, a lot of the, the global climate agreement um, conversations are, are, are based around. So 2030 is the year where India has made a pledge to the, to the international community out, coming out of the Paris Agreement. And, and on the supply side, it, it sort of, what we see is that the extent of growth in coal will remain the dominant feature of, of India's energy mix. And while oil and gas are also both predicted to rise, the magnitude of change is swamped by, by what, um, what the changes that we see in coal. But at the same time, I do want to suggest and, 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 and point out that a lot of the recent policy signals in India do uh, lead us to believe that the rate of increase of fossil fuels is going to be lower that, than what was initially imagined. And there are a few reasons for this. Um, one is that since 2015, there has been a change in, in the policy space in India and particularly in the electricity sector. And it, it suggests that there's a lowering of what Indian energy demand will actually be. And then the second is the the favorable conditions for renewable electricity development. And let me get into that a little bit more. So what India has seen is sort of a dramatically declining 
price of renewable energy, suggesting the potential for very, for a very fast ramp up of renewable energy adoption. And the cost of solar electricity in particular has plummeted. So in, in um, 2010, solar energy was about 0.35 uh, cents US dollars per kilowatt hour, and which was about 17 Indian rupees per kilowatt hour. And in 2017, this 17 rupees per kilowatt hour dropped to 2.44 rupees per kilowatt hour or 0.03 cents um, per kilowatt hour. And and all of this leads us to believe that there is little doubt that at minimum the price trend of renewable electricity is firmly in the direction of cost competitiveness with coal-based electricity. So in in sort of summary, my point here is that while fossil fuels do dominate the energy mix and are predicted to dominate the energy mix, there is very clear signaling that the ramp up of renewable electricity is, is going to be immense and price signals are already in line with that, and that there is um, a, a gradual mounting. The the interest in coal is actually diminishing, um, and 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 so the rate at which India will consume fossil fuel electricity is going to be much lower than was originally imagined. The rate of growth from this point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So this brings us, I guess, to the central challenge that the country faces. The country has competing priorities of development and very real climate concerns. Could you talk about this fundamental challenge, how this is viewed from the Indian perspective, balancing rising energy demand with climate that's, that's uh, you know, being discussed right now? Yeah. Now, with climate change, India, um, India has two objectives. Um, one is that because it is a country that has a number of people that are do not have access to basic services. Development is a primary um, goal and it is a priority for the population and for the government. Um, the second objective, though, which can, can can sort of seem at odds with the first one, is that India is also one of the most vulnerable communities in the world, vulnerable countries in the world to climate change. And, and a number of its communities are under extreme threat and risk from extreme temperatures, flooding, rainfall, um, and and a number of other weather-related events that are a product of climate change. Now, now the challenge for the country is is to balance both of these different objectives, which is to be able to develop, but at the same time also be able to protect itself from the adverse impacts of of this global problem. before we get into sort of more conversation around that, I, I do want to just provide some context of um, how India stands in in global climate uh, discussions and, and particularly the statistics around India's position. Um, and again, there is a sort of duality in the in the Indian context here that I, that I want to bring out. Um, the first is that from a global perspective, India's emissions could shape climate mitigation efforts. And this is because um, India is is amongst the largest current emitters of um, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and this share is invariably going to grow. But the second part of that is that on a per capita basis, the, the emissions from India are actually very low. And in 2013, 2014, um, the average Indian emissions were just 37% of the global per capita 
average emissions. So, so there is sort of this this duality where, on a cumulative basis, India India sort of features um, up there in terms of what the country on, of countries that are important to consider. But on a per capita basis, India's emissions are very low, and um, even even projections for 2030 suggest that uh, after India's emissions have grown considerably by then, the the per capita number will still be lower than the average per capita number today. So this is a, a sort of duality that I would like to sort of put on the table when we're uh, when we think about you know how India should approach the climate problem. What's India's perspective in terms of its responsibility to address climate change? Uh, in comparison with, for example, countries that have been industrialized for quite some time, like the U.S. or Western Europe? So India's position um, of late, and especially sort of post-Paris, has been um, has been rather constructive towards addressing the climate problem. There is the the question has very much been of of how and not if, and. Um, the the pledge that india put on the table for paris is has been recognized a, across developed and developing countries as ambitious uh one of one of the goals that is in there is 175 gigawatts of renewable energy by 2022 which is an an enormous um aspiration should should it be achieved um and and the approach of the country has been one where where it sort of is saying, and I'm and, and I'm keeping climate politics outside of this conversation um, because that is a that is a different um, different debate and a different story. But but in terms of just what is what India is doing now and what it's committed to do, the approach that the country has taken is to say that development is the first priority for the country, but at the same time, climate change is also a consideration that that is important to feature in 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 planning. And so, India will put forward actions where there are synergies between development and climate actions. So, what I mean by that is that there will be co-benefits between development and climate actions. And India will undertake measures, whether they are in renewable energy or in energy efficiency or whatever other sort of metrics that there may be, where both development and climate change can be addressed at the same time. And thereby it would meet both of its of, of its objectives and, and, and put forward something that is um, significant on the table. You uh, wrote a a report earlier this year, uh, and in the report, you focused on a mid-sized city in India, mid-sized being 1.2 million people, which sounds pretty big here, but I think mid-sized in India. And if I pronounce the name correctly, it's called Rajkot. Is Mm -hmm. that correctly? Uh, And um, you noted that this city is a leader in addressing climate change. Um, It's one of the first cities in, in India to really attack uh, the issue head on. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in that city and can that be used as a model uh, across the country? I think I wrote it was an unexpected leader. Um, uh, just just to be able to to sort of say that it is a city that is doing interesting things and it and it's and it's sort of that leadership is unexpected. Now how it sort of compares with other cities is still, you know, I, I think it could be contested whether it was a leader compared to every other city in India. And so I just want to put that uh, uh, sort of put that caveat out. Um, now, what 
the city is doing. So first, you know, let's sort of talk about how cities in India or cities globally now are getting this this attention around how they can be uh, drivers of climate actions, and particularly at a time where national governments are sort of lagging behind, um, cities have risen to to the stage in a in a, in a prominent way. Indian cities um, can are, are also under under the light because of this, but at the same time, I do want to mark that Indian cities do not have the same autonomy that say cities in the U.S. have where they could just make their own pledges and contributions and undertake actions that are sort of divorced from what their their state governments or the national government um, is doing. And and actually city actions are are really sort of constrained and and, and under the boundaries that are set by the the state and national government in India. So there there is that important distinction between between cities in other countries and Indian cities. so the question then becomes is you know what what are these indian cities doing and 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 are they uh are they behaving in a way that is um that is interesting unexpected as far as climate change is concerned particularly because um you know the the, the thing that strikes you when you when you work and speak with um city officials is that climate change is not the top priority um, there are many, many more, much more immediate, urgent um, tasks that the that the city has to deal with, often around safety, water, food, housing, that that have um, much more sort of um, immediate timescales and relevance, and and are higher probability events in terms of you know the the damage that that they can cause. And so, climate change is sort of at the bottom of the totem pole for for the most part. Now. The reason why why we find Rajkot interesting is that in spite of this this sort of climate priority that is not topmost, um, city officials are finding creative ways in which they can include climate change into their their purview of the tasks that they undertake. So I will give you an example from the housing department. And what we see here is that um, there is a large number of um, there's, there are a large number of affordable housing blocks that are now being built in India, and that's part of the urban transition that we were talking about before. Because um, as these different as these large numbers of people move into urban centers, housing has not been able to keep pace, um, and so there is now a large demand on housing, particularly low-income housing. And so the city of Rajkot has been building a number of low-income housing blocks, which, um, you know, as per the books, are are mainly focused on providing adequate shelter, um, housing, you know, those, those sort of non-climate and energy-related um, aspects. What the city uh, de- urban development department has ended up doing, though, is that in providing these affordable housing units to their uh, different communities, they are also making sure that these houses are built in an energy efficient manner, that they provide passive cooling to residents so that they use less electricity, that they have solar water heaters so that the energy bill is lower. And in doing that, they're locking in a particular consumption trajectory that is going to stay as long as these structures will, which is at least a few decades, um, given the lifetime of, of buildings. And, and so those are the kind of creative and um, innovative 
measures that we see cities perform, which are still under the the limitations that are provided by the state and the national government, but but you see cities rise, and 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 undertake tasks that provide both urban development and address climate change. And often this happens with the support of non-state technical actors, um, and 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 the city is able to use these partnerships in a way that that is actually productive for for everybody involved and and i think that is that is sort of you know part of the point that i was making in the in the in the piece that looks into this in much more detail about about how unexpected leadership is is arising from indian cities transportation also is a big part of any city's energy use uh, is there planning going on at this stage to create the environment where transportation is handled in the most efficient way possible? Yes, there is. I, and, you know, the the interesting thing about transportation and buildings as they interact with each other is that um, often the the combination of, of where a home is and where a transportation site is constructed can induce a particular behavior. So, um, for instance, if an affordable housing unit is built uh, by a transportation public transportation site, it is likely that these homes, instead of buying a vehicle, will actually end up using public transportation, and that that behavior then stays stays for a while. And um, so there is there is quite a lot of emphasis on transportation. There are uh, low carbon mobility plans in different cities. The flip side of this is that you know there is also now a a, a focus on electric vehicles. Um, and the government has quite an ambitious uh, target of having of saying that every car, new car that will be on the road in 2030 will be um, a hybrid vehicle or an electric vehicle. Um, I'm I'm less certain about how this might actually be achieved, um, but you know the it it is an interesting target to have. Um, one of the things that it that concerns me is that it's it's less clear to me how the electricity for these electric vehicles will be provided, and um, is that going to actually lead to an increased demand that will then be met by fossil fuels? Um, and and so sort of you know in in all the interesting and and um, very sort of constructive actions that are taking place in India, there is there is this sort of macro level strategic thinking piece that can sometimes be missing um and and um that's the part that i think uh you know we need to focus on a little bit more are there any technological constraints that india faces in terms of reaching its its goals in development and in maintaining its its uh carbon carbon footprint to the lowest level possible so um you know, one of the asks that India has often had is for um, funding for technology, particularly low carbon technologies, um, to be able to make this shift and, and leapfrog to to this energy efficient, low carbon future. Um, that has not really panned out, and 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 sort of global discussions have, you know, they sort of this is an important piece, and it has stayed an important piece through the years of global global climate discussions, but it hasn't really. Um, seen much movement. Um, one of the the interesting examples in the Indian context is the case of LED lights, um, which is uh, you know it is LED lights provide 
um, huge technological and energy savings um, because because they just take so much less electricity. Um, they're about seven watts or nine watts per bulb compared to a sixty watt or a hundred watt incandescent bulb. And um, India has been able to actually make the shift. A technological transition in its use of LED lighting and the lighting market in India has changed dramatically. And this has been without support um, from from other countries. So and the, the, the way they, they did that was they had a really interesting procurement model where they bought in bulk from um, suppliers and manufacturers and were thereby able to to sell at a lower price because of the economies of scale. And And this model actually is one that shows um, that technology leapfrogging, leapfrogging is possible. Technologies are available. And again, in being creative around how um, the transition can be undertaken, there are, there are, there are success stories. So what's the energy mix going to look like in 2030 in India? And what's the carbon footprint going to be? The mix is going to be similar to what we talked about previously. It is going to be mainly fossil fuel dominated with um, a large and growing uh, piece of renewable, a largely growing piece of renewable energy. Um, and the the sort of the the mix in terms of, you know, just what, what we find, and we did a, a study of different energy models and what their predictions were for 2030. And what we see is that it's likely that there will be a doubling of carbon emissions by 2030, but also that this doubling is going to be the the upper bound, and uh, it you know that's sort of the maximum that India will will be able to um, grow by, um, and and because of the changes in renewable energy and the lower demand estimates, um, the the carbon emissions at that point will actually probably be lower than this doubling. Of CO two emissions, that that's sort of you know what we're seeing, uh, at least based on these different studies that have come out, to be the projected future for the country. And 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 this the the basis of that statement is in the growth of fossil fuels, but also in in the renewable energy technologies. And and you know a lot of this will turn on the demand side, how much you know how much energy efficiency will actually be um, be made part of the system or not. As a final question here, I'd like to move to the issue of politics, which you said earlier you didn't really want to get into, but I'd like to ask you this in any event. Um, Prime Minister Narendra Modi has described taking on climate change as a very high priority. How much of the direction is coming directly from the Prime Minister's office, and would you see this same commitment in the future uh, under potentially different future leadership? It is um, definitely coming from the prime minister's office. The, the, the leadership on climate change, the, um, the different sort of, you know, the India's engagement at Paris um, and, and sort of the, you know, just, just the overall positive note that India has struck in the last few years is a function of of the leadership. Um, I also think it is likely that this will stay um, because, like I was saying before, the the 
challenge of climate change is not, um, and the science behind climate change is not contested in India. It is, um, you know, people recognize that this is this is a problem, and and the over the last few years there has been a real mainstreaming, or the quest has been to mainstream climate change into development, and because of the Paris Agreement and the nature of the Paris Agreement, there is now, you know, different countries can put on the table um, climate commitments that are consistent with their nationally determined context or with their development context. So it seems like there is an aligning of development and climate change, both in the in the sort of international um, dialogue and and that mainstreaming and that aligning is beginning to happen at the state and city level already. Um, so also sort of technologically and on the supply side in particular, because of the momentum that renewables have had, um, it's unlikely that this will stop. So I I do think that the the sort of the the leadership and the actions that India is undertaking will continue. And, and India is one of the few countries that is actually, um, it, it is in line with meeting its Paris pledge. Um, and most of the developed countries are, are not. So as far as the, the ability to stay on track is concerned, I think that will play out. The politics will turn a little bit on, on what developed countries do and don't do, though. Right. Um, so... Currently in Bonn, there are furious negotiations going on, and and uh, a lot of the questions are around what you know what developed countries are able to achieve, particularly with the U.S. pulling out of the or announcing to pull out of the agreement. Um, and I think that politics may play out differently. Would the U.S. pull out impact India's trajectory? Um, so you know the decision about the U.S. pulling out or not can only actually be implemented in 2020. So there is some time um, and it would impact not just India's trajectory, but but a lot of developing country trajectories because it sort of really um, puts a question mark on whether um, there is a seriousness by the developed world to actually undertake these measures. I will say that um, up to now, the response of the Indian government has been very positive to say that, you know, uh, even if the U.S. pulls out India and you know other developing countries will take on the leadership and 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 they will pursue their goals so that the the global challenge is met and and that has been very positive. Radhika, thanks for talking. Thank you. Today's guest has been Radhika Kosla, visiting scholar at the Climate Center for Energy Policy. For more insights into energy policy and for updates on research and events from the Climate Center for Energy Policy, subscribe to our Twitter feed at Climate Energy or visit our website climbinenergy.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening and have a great day.